Okay, Exodus chapter 25, if you have it, say amen. Beginning with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 8. Amen. Praise God. We're going to begin a study on the tabernacle, and uh, we have, when we first started the church, we preached on the tabernacle, and so we will be teaching, preaching again on this subject, bringing old things and new things together, and understanding the word of the Lord. This is an awesome, awesome study. And when we were in the book of Galatians, we talked about types and shadows and things that point to Jesus Christ. And this is the fundamental one right here. In fact, when you look at the word of God, as you read through the Bible and you study the Bible, God just assumes that you understand the tabernacle. There is so much reference made to it and so, again, God assumes that you understand it. It's a basic thing that we need to know. It's a great thing that we need to know that He gave us to demonstrate that which was to come. Amen? So we're going to study it. So we will know what the tabernacle is all about. We will look at the tabernacle itself. Uh, sometimes it's going to be full of facts. And, you know, you may go to, to like, dozing off. But you've got to know about the structure, what was there, before we can study the meaning of the structure. So I will be not only sharing with you the meaning of the structure, but I will tell you about the structure itself. Amen. So it's all a part of our learning. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. Bible said, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram's skins dyed red, and badger skins and shadow wood, all for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And then uh, verse 21, uh, same chapter, Exodus 25, 21. Thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. Say, I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. And from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Let's pray again. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your awesome word today. There is so much truth, God. There is so much here. We ask, God, that you would inspire us, Lord Jesus. Anoint us, God, to bring this word forth. Anoint us to hear the word. Lord, we know you're going to bless this service today. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and you may be seated in the name of the Lord. You may look with me at Genesis chapter 3, because if you're going to study the tabernacle, you must begin at Genesis chapter 3. Praise God. Now, the tabernacle itself, uh, Hebrew word, O-L, O-H-E-L. It simply means a tent. O-L means a tent. 
and it O-L, uh, the last word, Hebrew word, is mo, moed, which means a tent of meeting. Say with me, a tent of meeting. It is also called a mishkan. Hebrew mishkan means tabernacle. Now, when you talk about the O-L, moedi, you're talking about O-L, the tent. Basically, it has to do with these coverings here. That When you say tabernacle... You're talking about the structure, the, the wood and everything that's underneath the veils and, and the uh, coverings here. That's the actual tabernacle. So when we say Oel uh, Moed, we're talking about the meeting place where God's going to meet His people and the structure underneath is the tabernacle, all right? Now if we look at Genesis chapter 3, we will find out why it is needed, why this tabernacle was built. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. The Bible said, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly, shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 8, again, your attention in verse 9. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden. Walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. In this uh, chapter, we see the fall of man. Man fell away from God, and God is going to bring back a reconciliation. He's going to bring back the two together through this tabernacle picture here. When you study the tabernacle, again, it's the tent of meeting. It has to do with humanity meeting with divinity. See, God wanted to meet with them, but fellowship had been broken here. And so also, uh, just to give you a few things to write down, it's where a fallen man rendezvous with the eternal God. It is also in 2 Samuel 16, called a called a bridal tent. Keep all that in mind. So it's where humanity and deity come together. It's where man rendezvous with the eternal God. Amen. It is a place where God manifests His presence among humanity. And the reason for that is because in Genesis 3, man fell away from God by sin. The devil came into the Garden of Eden and there he tempted Adam and Eve. And they fell away from God and the relationship that they once had with God was disconnected. There was a divorce that had taken place. And God went back into that garden and He was looking for Adam and Eve. But they weren't in the place where He once met with them. And I'm not talking about just geographically here. I'm talking about spiritually. Something had happened. A separation had taken place. A disconnection had taken place between God and man. And an adulterous affair was entered into. 
where a third party came into the relationship between man and God and adultery was committed by man against his God and the marital bed was breached by man's sin in the garden. So God reached out, tried to love man, his, his wife. And throughout the Word of God, we see the relationship pictured uh, as God and humanity, as the husband and the wife. And so this relationship was broken. It was torn apart. So throughout the Old Testament, God is trying to mend this tear. He's trying to reconcile. He's trying to bring back himself with his people and that is the reason for the tabernacle amen whenever God created man they were in fellowship with God they were in love with God it was a love story it was a romance but now adultery has been committed so God is going to reconcile because he misses them he says I miss you I want to love you I want to hug you but I can't do that anymore because sin has entered into your life and you are so horrible in your sin and I am so holy that I can't come down and get into that sin because of my holiness I can't become filthy and meet with you in that situation and I'm so holy that you can't come to where I am now in your sin so God, throughout the Bible we see, Ezekiel said, he said, I looked for somebody to stand in the gap. I looked for somebody to bring back the relationship between God and man that was disconnected in the garden. I looked for a man to stand in the gap and bring them together. Job said, he looked for a daysman. Or he looked for a mediator. Somebody would take the hand of God and the hand of man and bring them back together and reconnect them and reunite them in fellowship. And this is what it's all about right here. God himself wants to fellowship with you today. He wants to reconnect with you today. He wants to have a relationship with you today. He wants to love you. He wants to hug you. But there's a gap and it's caused by sin. And adultery has taken place because of sin. And the third party named Satan. But God is saying, come on, I want that relationship. I want to bring it back together. <clears throat> You're no longer in the place that you once were. So I've got to make a place where you can come back in my presence. There's going to be a place, he said. There's going to be a meeting place. There's going to be a dwelling place by which God and man can come back together and be reconciled. After they fell, God, where art thou, Adam? Where are you? You're not in the place that you once were. I can't love you like I once loved you. I can't hug you like I once hugged you. There's been a breach in the marital relationship here. What's happening here, Adam? Where are you, Adam? I want to fellowship with you. Do you see the heart of God today? He loves you today. He wants to fellowship with you today. He wants to love you and then you love Him back. But see, because sin entered into man, then God could no longer mate with man. You know why? As long as man was in the likeness of God, then God could mate with man. But when sin entered into man, God could no longer mate with man because man was no longer in his likeness. 
because sin had come in and brought a separation. And so God looked at that man and he said, I can't fellowship with you like that because you're not like me anymore. Something has changed here. It's not like it was before. You're different now. Another seed has entered into your life. It's the seed of the serpent. Now listen to that. The seed of the serpent has come inside of you. And you've got sin. So I cannot relate to you. There's a separation. Now how many of you know that death is not the cessation of life? Death is not the cessation of life. Because if you pass from this world, you're going to keep on living. It doesn't matter if you're saved or you're lost. When you leave this planet, you're going to live forever. So death is not the cessation of life. It is going to continue forever and ever and ever and ever. Doesn't matter if you're saved or you're lost. You understand? Death, Ephesians, the Bible tells me in chapter 2, that we are dead in trespasses and in sin. Which means, what does that mean? Separation has taken place. Say death is separation. Physical death is separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual separation or spiritual death is eternal separation from God. So death is not the cessation of life. It, life will continue. It has to do with a separation. God said, I can't fellowship with you anymore because sin is in your life. But I've got a way, I've got a plan, I've got a place that I'm going to take you to where you're going to be reunited with me once again. I'm going to be able to mate with you once again. I'm going to be able to love you once again. And the separation is going to be broken. That's what the tabernacle is all about. Do you understand? Now, look, you want to know how horrible sin is? You look at the way God describes sin. You look in the law, the Bible talks about that men will commit incest. They will commit bestiality. That means they will mate with animals. Well, people say, well, you know, God doesn't have to bring up that subject, does He? Well, God never talks about something that doesn't need to be spoken on. So God said, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about bestiality and men mating with animals. I need to talk about incest. Men uh, mating with their own uh, family members that are outlawed by the Word of God. I need to talk about homosexuality. I need to talk about uh, adultery. I need to talk about these things. <laughs> because that's what is in man. That's sin. That's why I can't fellowship with him anymore. I can't mate with him anymore because he's not like me. What God is trying to show you is that beast, you can't mate with the beast. You shouldn't mate with the beast because you're not like the beast. You're not made of the same material. And God said, I can't mate with men anymore because they're not made out of the same material. They're not like me anymore. They've got sin in their life. You understand that? And I'm not talking about racially. Come on. God's not talking about racially here. Amen. One black dog mates with a white dog. And when they come together and have a, another dog, it's not a strange dog. It's still a dog. You under with, are you here today? A brown dog can mate with a white dog. And you're still going to have a dog. It's not going to be a strange dog. But if a dog mates with a chicken, then you've got a mess. Yeah. 
because you're going to hear something very strange. You're going to hear a dog barking and trying to fly at the same time. You've got something strange on your hands then. But what God is trying to show you is he can't mate with man anymore because man is no longer in his likeness. Do you understand? Are you with me on these things? So God, what is he going to do about this? Well, he's going to bring in a new bloodline. He's going to bring in a totally new race of people. And he's going to, no, no. It's going to take me some time to get you here. So I'm going to give you the background. Are you with me? Are you with me up to this point? Okay. Well, what's God going to do? The Bible tells me if you go to Genesis 22. Hallelujah. See, God says, you know what? He said, I can't live without you. He said, I miss you. I miss the relationship. I've got to get back together with you. I love you. Do you understand that when man sinned against God, that he stopped resting? You know that God didn't talk about rest for 2,500 years after the fall? It wasn't until he started talking about the Sabbath. That he even mentioned rest because man lost the rest when he fell against God. God couldn't rest because the relationship was broken. And man sure couldn't rest because he couldn't get back to God. So God didn't even talk about rest anymore. But God said, I've got a plan. I'm going to take you to a place. I'm going to... I'm going to rendezvous with you. I'm going to reconcile with you. I'm going to come back together with you. I'm going to love you again. I'm going to hold you again. So, he says, you know what? There's something strange here. I've got to do something. I've got to change this because they're not in my likeness. And I can't mate with them. So, let's see what he does. Go to Genesis 22. Hallelujah. God's word's good. Here's what he says. Remember Abraham? Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham. Amen. Out of heaven the second time. And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done these, this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy what? seed there's going to be a change in the seed see when man fell he became the seed of the serpent he's a part of the family of the devil you know what you have to do to be lost nothing you don't have to do anything to be lost in fact if you don't do anything you will be lost because you were born with the seed of the devil you were born with an evil horrible fallen nature but God said there's going to be a change in the seed. That in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply. Thy seed, say thy seed. As the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed, say thy seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about God's seed. You with me? Galatians chapter 3. Well, I'm going to turn over there and I'm going to show you. Galatians 3. Again, we've covered this in Galatians. Who is the seed of Abraham? Well, it's the Hebrews. But specifically speaking, who is the seed of Abraham? 
That's it. Jesus, you got it. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed, talking about the Hebrew people. Uh, to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So the seed he's talking about is the seed who? Of Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He's the seed of Abraham. So God is going to bring a totally new thing into the, into the world. He's going to bring a new bloodline into the world. He's going to establish a new family in the world. A family by which he can love and be reconciled back to them through the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Are you here? So, oh, God's good. See, God said, I got, a, I got a plan here. And it's going to take me ages. And it's going to take me a lot of prophets. It's going to take me a lot of, uh, of sages, wise men. It's going to take me a long time. But I'm going to bring about the reconciliation. But I've got to show them what I'm doing uh, through types and shadows and patterns and pictures. I'm going to establish a new seed in the world. It's going to be the seed. Jesus Christ is the seed. So you know what he did? Abraham has the seed of the serpent in him. So what does God do? He lets Abraham live till he gets to a point he cannot give birth to children. So Abraham, his body dies. And no, guess what? Not only his, but Sarah's womb is dead. She can't give birth to children. You know why? Because God has to take care of their seed. It has to die. And when their seed dies, then God said, I'm going to give you my seed. And the seed that God gave Abraham was his own seed. God gave him his seed. And no wonder when God's seed came into the womb of Sarah, it caused her womb to leap with the laughter of Isaac. Oh, how are you with me today? Well, purpose is to bring us back to God through the seed of Abraham. Do you understand that? Okay, let me go back. Let me show you something. Hallelujah. Genesis 15. So, before Abraham died, he said, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. You hear for Abraham, now, I'm talking about physically. I'm not talking about in his, just his ability to give birth to children here. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? God made a promise to Abraham before he died. Now look with me back at Genesis 15. See where I want to start here. I guess we'll start with verse 1. That'll be all right, huh? Are y'all with me still? After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? Hmm. And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Oh, man. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Now God, again, has a reason why Abraham can't have children he's going to let it die so he can produce his own seed 
Behold, the word of the Lord came unto me, him saying, This shall not be thine heir, but that that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Oh, hallelujah. It's going to be a miracle. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said to him, So shall thy seed be. So he's going to have a huge nation, but there's going to be one seed specifically that's going to bless the whole, whole world, and that's Jesus Christ, the seed of God. And he said unto him, I am the Lord. Ha, yeah. I am the Lord that brought thee out of her of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit. I brought you out of where you are. I took you out of your place to take you to my place so I could fellowship with you. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? He said unto him, take me a heifer of three years old, a she goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. When the fowls came down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. Say, drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. He said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed, say thy seed, shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years now this is what I want you to see and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterwards say afterward shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers you're going to die physically but I have made a promise to you Abraham and your children or your seed is going to go into Egypt and they're going to be servants in Egypt I'm going to plant them in Egypt when I get through with them they're going to come out with great substance because I've got a place for them to build notice thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace thou shalt be buried in a good old age but in what the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, so what is God telling? Number one, you're going to Egypt. I'm going to put you in Egypt. Number two, you're going to come out of Egypt with great substance. Number three, Abraham, you're going to die before the promise is fulfilled. But it's still going to happen. You with me? Now, here's what's awesome. Abraham does just what God told him, he, told him he was going to do. He dies. Israel goes into captivity. And guess what? They come out of captivity with great substance. God is an awesome God. He kept his promise with a dead man. He kept his promise with a corpse. See, God is so awesome. When He makes a promise to you, you don't have to be alive for, in order for you to see it. God will keep His promise. So God said, Israel, you're going into Egypt. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to be in bondage. You're going to be a servant. But I'm going to bring you out with great substance. Abraham, you're going to die. But it's not going to stop my promise from taking place. I'm going to keep my promise even if you're a corpse in the grave as far as your body is concerned. I'm telling you, God keeps His promise with you. Now, you remember in the Bible, in the prophets, there were times when God was ready to kill Israel. He got so fed up with them. They were so carnal and so sinful. And they could not, 
And he said, I'm just going to kill him. I just want to kill him. But you know what? Then he remembered the promise that he gave to Abraham. And he said, well, I can't touch him because I made a promise to Abraham that I would save them alive. God is an awesome God. Now, I want you to know God is putting forth some effort to bring back a relationship between man and God. All right. Now, are you with me? Let's go over, if we could, to the end. Exodus. Go to Exodus. Chapter 1. See where it happens. These are the names. Verse 1. Chapter 1. Of the children of Israel. Here we go. See, they've grown now and become a nation. In a sense. They're, they, they're bigger than they were before, right? And we have the names of these people in verse 5. It says, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob, you have Abraham, you have Isaac, and you have Jacob. It says, At this point, there were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. So that'd be 71. You understand? Maybe if, if Joseph is included here, you've got 70. He has five grandsons. Acts 7 says the 75 were in Egypt. So the Bible tells us they start out 75 people. They go into Egypt with 75 people, just like God told Abraham it was going to happen. Now the Bible continues, and it says in verse 7. Let's start at verse 6. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, on all that generation, they died. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them they're growing in Egypt to become a large group of people from 75 people to anywhere from 1.5 2 million some people believe anywhere from 3 to 5 million people they grew and increased there in Egypt just like God told them it was going to happen and Abraham's as far as his body is concerned is in the grave but God keeps His promise. They're in Egypt, right? We'll go to Exodus chapter 5. Verse 1. Say, and afterward. Exodus 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they might hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Are you here? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He's fixing to bring them out. Now, can you see Moses and Aaron walking in there into Egypt? See, they worship it. The Hebrews worship an invisible God. They walk into Egypt, and there's invisible gods everywhere. Huge creations of man's hands. Huge idols. But into that situation... Moses and Aaron walk. And they walk by the false gods. Hallelujah. What are they doing? They're representing the invisible God. I think some of you need resurrected from the dead this morning. That's all right. Don't, don't mess with me. I'll go lay hands on you, man. 
See, they represented an invisible God who was the only God, the one God of the Bible. And they were not intimidated by all the visible false gods of Egypt. They said, we're ambassadors of Christ. So they walk in there. Hallelujah. The Bible says, why did they go? Because God wants to meet with us. God wants to rendezvous with us. God wants to reconcile with us. God wants to reunite, reunite with us. That's, that's why they went back. Amen. But notice, what, look verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. He's an invisible God. These are my gods. I can see them, but I can't see your invisible God. So I don't rec- respect a God I can't see. And that's where most people are today. Because they can't see God, they don't want to serve Him. Because they can't see God, they don't respect God. But the Hebrews worship the only God, the invisible God. Amen? Now here's what they say to Him. They said, the God of the Hebrews. Say, the God of the Hebrews. The invisible God. The invisible God has met with us let us go we pray thee three days journey in the wilderness in the desert say in the desert into the desert was going to be the meeting place look at that right there let us go into the desert three days journey and sacrifice unto the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword he said you know what you better be careful because the God we serve is a powerful God And he wants to meet with us so bad that if you try to stop us from meeting with that God, he's going to bring judgment upon you. He's going to rain down fire upon you. So don't mess with this God. Amen. And we know Pharaoh tried to stop them from going out into that meeting place. A visible place to meet an invisible God. Pharaoh said, well, I think I'll try to stop them. God said, you can't stop them. Because I want to meet with them, man. I want to have fellowship with them. They're going to have great substance when they come out to build my tabernacle. Isn't God good? And all kinds of problems started taking place. Because Pharaoh tried to stop them from getting to the place to meet with God. You don't want to fight against God, my friend. There's a lot of people who are trying to fight against God. But I'm going to tell you something. There's some men and women of God who are going to be like Moses and they're going to be like Herod. And they're going to say, you can have your false gods, but I serve a God. You can't see Him, but He is the only God there is. And there's people who might try to stop you from meeting with that God. But if they interfere, then guess what? God's going to come down on them in wrath. And what's so awesome is that Moses had been in this wilderness, in this desert before. He had been in this place before. 
And the Bible tells me that there appeared God in the burning bush to Moses. And it burned with a flame of fire. The Shekinah glory of God himself appeared to Moses. So no wonder Moses said, hey, you know what? We're bringing them all out. And we're going to go to that place where I met God in the burning bush. We're going to go to that desert place. We're going to go to that rendezvous place. We're going to go to that reuniting place. And we're going to have fellowship with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I have experienced a burning bush experience. That's why I'm on fire today. You know, when I got the burning bush experience, when I got filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. And I'm, I'm burning on the inside, but I'm not being consumed on the outside. The bush was burning on the inside, but it wasn't consumed because it's a picture of what God does inside of me and what He does inside of you. And I pray that you're burning on the inside and you're not cold and lukewarm and Laodicea. So I got to get them to that place. I got to get them reconciled. I got to get them to that place where the invisible, God is going to meet them in a visible place in the wilderness. I got to get there where that burning bush was. I got to get them there. And here's the awesome thing. They came out of Egypt. And I, we, we got a long ways to go, man. And we got a lot to cover. They came out of Egypt. And guess where God took them? He took them to the mountain. Now, when Moses met God, the bush was on fire. But whenever God met Israel, the whole mountain burned. We see His exceeding greatness, His exceeding power there. Ephesians tells me of His exceeding power. His exceeding greatness, which means this. You thought you saw God awesome over here. Well, then, listen to me. He said the next time you see God, He's going to be greater than you saw Him the last time. Because He just exceeds in power and greatness. He, oh! So the bush burned one time. Next time the mountain's going to burn. I love God because whenever you think you've seen His awesomeness, then just keep walking with Him and you're going to see something better than you saw before because He exceeds in greatness. The exceeding greatness of His power. The exceeding greatness of His power. Have you ever tried to preach and teach at the same time? That's a challenge, man. But God's good, isn't He? Last time I saw God, I said, He's awesome. I, I, I'm not talking about it visibly. I've never seen God visibly with my eyes. But I've seen Him in the Spirit. And I've experienced Him in the Spirit awesomely. And I said, God, that was awesome. Then the next time I saw him again, it was even better than before because that's the way God is. It's a burning bush one day and then it's a mountain that's on fire the next time. That's why you'll never be happy until you get this God in your life because he desires to be in fellowship with you. 
And I want to tell you, listen to me tonight today. It doesn't matter if the devil's trying to stop you. <laughs> Can I tell you something? He's a peon compared to God. If you want to know this God, you can know this God. The devil can't stop you. Your husband can't stop you. Your wife can't stop you. And nobody can stop you if you want to know that God. And he'll do it. He'll do everything he can to stop you. But nothing can stop you but you, my friend. And nothing can stop you but you, my friend, from being reconciled to this awesome, loving God. I hear people all the time come up with petty little excuses. Don't give me your excuses, son. Because if you really want to live for God, you would. There's no devil in hell can stop you. There's no problem in this world that can stop you. Get do away with your little bitty excuses and say, I want to know this God. Amen. God's awesome. I say God's awesome. Praise God. God is awesome. Isn't he awesome? I want to meet with you, he said. I want to fellowship. He wants to meet with you today. He wants to fellowship with you today. And I know some of you are freaking out, man. You've never seen anything like this before. But how would you have responded if you'd have met God in a burning bush that didn't, that didn't get consumed? How would you have felt if you met God and you saw a mountain on fire? That's the God I serve. He's a living God. He might be invisible, but He's a living God. See, some of you, you don't know that God's alive. You don't realize He's a powerful God. Because all you've been associated with is religion. Oh, you've been associated with You've been walking and you see the visible idols that are set up by the hands of men. You see religion. That's all you've ever experienced in your life. But I'm talking to you about a living God who is alive and powerful. Who wants to rendezvous with you. Who wants to fellowship with you. Who is here today. And I'm trying to help you understand that nothing can stop you if you really want to. But you gotta get out of Egypt. You gotta leave Egypt. You gotta leave the world. You gotta leave the devil. And go meet with that God. I saw not too long ago a documentation, documentary of a young man who got so hungry to meet with God that he left everything, he left family. He left his home and he left his job and he went into a desert and he fasted for 40 days. Nobody knew where he was. They sent out the helicopters. They sent out the search parties. Nobody could find that young man. But guess what? They finally found him and he was just wandering through the wilderness. He had lost, I don't know, I can't remember how many pounds, skinny as he could be. But he wanted to know God. 
And he said, I'd get my Bible out. I'd read my Bible in the wilderness. He said, and I'd start crying. He said, I'd pray all the time. And I started crying. He had a rendezvous with God. But you know what? When he got through talking, I got to thinking the Lord. I said, God, I don't have to go out in a physical wilderness and fast 40 days to find you. I've already found you. Really, you've already found me. But I'm trying to show you that in the heart of man, there is a desire to be reconnected with the disconnected deity that you once were in connection with. There is a desire in your heart for God. That's why people are going out of wilderness and fast 40 days looking for something in their life. I got him. He's got me. of the fire of the spirit I want people to witness and experience the manifestation of God in their lives now listen to me if he did it for me if he did it for me he'll do it for you see some of you had this idea well pastor you've been preaching all your life you came out of the womb preaching. No, sir. I had a rendezvous with God. If you only knew where God found me. I was a prisoner in Egypt. I was a prisoner to the world. I was a prisoner to the devil. But Jesus found me and filled me and called me. And I'll never be the same. You can't come in contact with God and still be the same if you're still the same you didn't come in contact with the God of the Hebrews and I'm telling you to get you in that place God will let hell fall he'll let problems calamities troubles happen in your life to get you in that place where you'll meet the living God. See, I know he's alive because I talked to him this morning. I know he's alive because he talked to me this morning. He said, I got to meet with my people. He longs to fellowship with you. Are you here? Isn't God good? See, Pharaoh, you can produce your own gods. And you can't understand worshiping a God you can't produce. But he's the only God there is. Who isn't God good? Isn't God good? Let's, let's, well, let's keep on going. They come out, right? How'd they come out? With great substance. I don't have time to go through all the details with you, but you know all the problems that took place in Egypt. When Pharaoh said no, God said, okay, judgment. Pharaoh said, God, uh, you can't stop them. 
Pharaoh said, I can. Judgment. Ten judgments fell on him. Guess what? God won. Guess what? He always wins. He never loses a battle. He never has. He never will. He always wins. So 1.5, maybe 2 million, maybe 3 million, maybe 6 million. Okay, walk it out of Egypt. <clears throat> to go to a visible place to meet an invisible God in the wilderness. Now look, let's get over to Sinai. We talked a little bit about that, so let's go to Exodus 20, please. Exodus 19, they actually go to Sinai, and then the 20th chapter, then God gives him, gives Moses the law. So he gives him the law. My God is so awesome. Is your God? Look. Well, he gives him the commandments. Y'all know the Ten Commandments, right? You can read them right here in Exodus chapter 20. Verse 1, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I'll tell you how confused the devil is. And you want to serve him? I'll tell you how confused he is. He'll tell you that living for God is bondage and tells you that living in the world is freedom. Now, he's really stupid. I mean, he's really confused. He can't. God said, you were in bondage when you were in the world. But he said, I brought you out to set you free. And I am your God. He said, verse 3, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You with me? No other gods. That's it. All right. Well, he keeps on going. He gives the Ten Commandments. Well, Moses comes down with the law. Tables of stone in his hand. And before he even gets down from the mountain with the law of God, the Israel, the Hebrews are dancing naked in front of a false god. So Moses, look, they already broke the law. So Moses takes the Ten Commandments and he throws them to the ground and they shatter. Already broken God's law. Are you here? You can't come to God through the law. Because you've already broken the law. But listen to me. Whenever Moses went up into that mountain, he got two things. He got the law that condemns you. And he got the tabernacle that restored you. And you can't get to God through the law because you've already broken the law. So scratch that plan. The only, the only plan you can do now is to be reconciled by the way of the tabernacle. If Moses had only brought down the Ten Commandments, he would have come down in vain. 
But he didn't just bring down the law. He brought the plan of the tabernacle down with him that would restore these people who had broken the law. And so God said, I'm going to give you the law to show you how much you need the place. going to let you feel conviction and I'm going to condemn you and my word is going to condemn you but you know what if you just turn and look at the tabernacle Jesus you will be saved you with me all right so let's go over and so let's look at this you got oh hallelujah if you want to know where they worship in that false god that's Exodus 32 verse 1 I got some people in the church right now that are dancing or naked around false gods. That's right in your heart you are. Come on, man. Isn't God good? Notice. I love the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 25. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly in his, with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. These are the same people that had given their earrings uh, to make a false god. They made the golden calf out of the earrings of the people. And it was to those people that God said, Take me an offering. Because I want to see, you know, they, they really used to treat this, they treated this false god this way. And they gave everything they had to this golden calf. They gave their earrings to the golden calf. I'm a jealous god. And I'm going to see if they'll treat me, the true god, as good as they treated their false gods. So bring me an offering, God said. See, when you get in the kingdom of God, God's going to ask you for money. And he's not intimidated about asking for it. He doesn't get all afraid and scared about asking you for money. Because he said, hey, remember when you were in the world? How much money you spent on liquor? How much money you spent on, on alcohol? How much money you spent on cigarettes? How much money you spent trying to satisfy your flesh? Now you're in my kingdom. I'm going to see how you treat me. Will you treat me with the same respect you treated your false gods? I'm going to ask you for your tithes. I'm going to ask you for your offerings. And I'm not going to be bashful about it. Come on, man. I know what I'm talking about. I know the money I spent before Christ. So when I got in the kingdom, I have no problem paying my tithes. I have no problem paying my offerings because I used to give it to the false gods. Now I serve the one and true living God. He said, but when they give, let them give with a willing heart. Not with, well, I have to stuff. Come on, stupid. You serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you don't want to give. I'll just tell you this right now. It has been this pastor's experience 
that anybody baptized in Jesus' name claim to be filled with the Holy Ghost or not. Anybody who does not pay their tithes and their offerings are not real. It's been this pastor's experience that anybody that won't give what they used to give to false gods to the one true God, anybody that's like that is a phony and a fake and will not last. It's been my experience that where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. I'm telling you, the people that leave us for the most part are people who never paid their tithes. Because their heart was never in it anyway. Brother Dice used to say this, if you're really saved, you pay your tithes. Which means if you don't pay your tithes, where does that leave you? Because God's not, he, he don't get intimidated about asking us for money. Aren't you glad God gave you eternal life? Do you really love him? Or do you just have a mouth that says you do? Do you really love him? God said, bring those things you used to worship idols with and give them to me. They all belong to me, not to you. It's been my experience that those who give God has their attention. You with me? But those that don't give, God doesn't have their attention. Don't play patty cake with this preacher. I've seen too much. I've been around too many people that want to play games in that area. God said, bring me an offering. You did it for the false gods. Will you do it for me? Give God praise. But the false gods you made with your hands never gave you salvation. The false god you gave with your hands and never healed your body. The false gods you once served put you in the hospital bed for overdoses and drug addiction. The god you once served uh, caused you to be in bondage uh, to your own sin. Uh, but Jesus came to set you free and to give you life. And so God said, I'm going to test you to see if you love me as much as you love the false gods. Oh, that hit home. That hit home. If you've got an investment in God and you've got an investment in the kingdom, it's hard for you to leave it. But if you don't have any investment in it, it's easy for you to turn away and walk away from the house, the church, and God. Because you have idols in the world. Isn't God good? I was talking to a lovely sister in the Lord. Uh, called me up on the phone, elderly lady. She said, she's talking to me about God. I said, sister, I've been preaching to people my guts out lately. Trying to get them to serve God. She said, well, I like the way she talks. But I 
said, but you know what? I knew it, not do it too good about it. I'm trying to counsel them. I'm trying to preach hard so they'll wake up, but it's not doing much good. She said, well, pastor, she said, the reason is they have golden calves in their life. I said, yes, ma'am. He is my God. Is he your God today? He's awesome. See, if you invest in God's kingdom, God has your attention. Give God praise. I want to ask you a question today. Do you love God as much as you love the false God you used to worship? Some of you, when you used to throw parties, you threw it big time. I've talked to some of you on the phone. You told me what you used to do. And, then you, and, and not the same, thank God. But some people come and just sit there and look at you in church. And I guarantee you, when they go to party, honey, they don't just sit there and look. So there is no way that I will ever sit on a padded pew and never. Because with the same seal and determination that I pursued the world, I plan on pursuing my God with even more intensity. God's got my attention. More than the gods of the world. God gave me a message Thursday morning in prayer meeting for tonight. And before the week was over, God had already confirmed the word that he gave me. So if you want to hear from God, be to church tonight. Because I've got a message for you tonight. It's already been confirmed. You know what, Wednesday night, I moved into an area that I don't normally express. I feel it many times, but I told you that I was angry about some things. Did you know before the week was over? Now, some of y'all saying, well, I can't believe he got like that. But you don't know what I know. I said, you don't know what I know. I said again, you don't know what I know. And before the week was over, I got calls on my telephone. So we better start walking with the spirit of the living God. Because God's going to come down in judgment and burn up anything that keeps the relationship. And then when, you, when he has that relationship with you, then he's going to test you to see if you love him more than you love the other gods. Isn't God good? Oh, man. No wonder he said, Abraham, you're going to die, but I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to put them in Egypt, but I'm going to bring them out with great substance. I've got a plan. I want to meet them in a place. But in order to have the place, I've got to take their stuff. So when I take their stuff, I can show them my stuff when I come. So somebody get John chapter 1 for me quickly, really fast. John 1. John 1, chapter 1. Verse 1. John 1, 1. Who's got it? 
Brother Mark, come on up, brother. Praise the Lord. God said, I got to take my, your stuff so I can show you my stuff. You know what you got to do sometime when you don't feel no fire? You got to make a fire. When you don't feel God's spirit and you say he's invisible, I can't see him. You got to walk by faith, honey. You can't sit around and wait for God. God's waiting on you. I don't see, come on. I don't see anybody ever waiting on God. God's waiting on you. God said, I'm already there in the wilderness. You come out here and get me. Some of you want to sit there in your wilderness, sit there in your Egypt. But God said, if you're going to experience me, you got to get up. You got to move out of your place and get to my place. God took their stuff to show us his stuff. Are you looking forward to the tabernacle? All right, let's go. John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. The same was in the beginning with God. Okay, go to verse 14. Who is this? All right. Who is this Word? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was... God. Right? Who's the Word? God. By the Word of God, God built a tabernacle. By the Word of God, He's going to build a tabernacle. 14. Who's the tabernacle? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as only the begotten of the Father, full of grace. Who's the Word? God is the Word. But the Word became flesh. Build me a dwelling place, he said. Build me a sanctuary. That's the dwelling place of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. So Christ is the true tabernacle. So God said, give me your stuff so, I, uh, so that you'll understand when I come, uh, you'll understand my stuff because I'm going to come as God in the flesh and his name is going to be Jesus. He's the Christ. He is the tabernacle. Also, also he can have a rendezvous. God wants to rendezvous with you. God wants to love you. God wants to hug you. You don't believe me? Read the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon, the Shulamite maid type of the church said, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Who tell that Kush? That God is in this church right now. But I can't see him. He's the invisible God of the Hebrews. 
you come in contact with him by faith and getting out of your place to his place. You with me? Well, I'm almost through. Aren't you glad you can get to God through the tabernacle? Not through the law. The law just shows you how much you need the place. The law just shows you how much you need the tabernacle, Jesus. Lift your hands right now. I feel his spirit. You lift your hands and worship him. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. We beheld his glory as of the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. We saw the tabernacle. ask you to forgive us for our carnality forgive us for our worldliness oh shut it Jesus you're here praise God let me tell you that one day Jesus came in the wilderness of sin in your life and he found you wandering in the wilderness in a meeting place where deity met humanity and they'll never be the same he found me in a wilderness and when he met me I've never been the same. Give him worship. Give him worship. How many of the eternal God has rendezvoused with you and you've never been the same? If that's you, give a shout of praise to the glory of his name. Let a continual praise bear them on eagles wings and brought them out thank you Jesus I worship you my Jesus okay sister Angie if you'll get us some music ready we're going to sing and worship the Lord we're just going to open up the front here and we're going to come in contact
with deity. We're going to rendezvous with the eternal God. We're going to get connected to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's how much He loves you. You never knew how much He loves you. Testament, he just stopped by. Temporarily, he stopped by. Today, he abides. He dwells. He loves you today. He loves you. 